Hey, friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. How are you, my friend? Man, I'm fired up. It's this big anniversary show. Well, happy 800th show, I think. (laughs) Happy 800th show. Good you know, work, when we started this, Bill, uh, if you just said that, hey, you know, we'll probably make 100 of these shows, I would have uh, cast some doubt on that. Um, you know, that would have sounded ambitious. Called, would that have sounded yes. outrageously optimistic, I wonder? Would it? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, why, don't, hey, why don't we build a show around that, uh, around that topic? Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think, well, 13 years ago, when we did the first what we call it, uh, Speculists of the Air, I think is what we called the first show we ever did, where we, we recorded an MP3 and we put it up on the website and said, here you go, here's our, here's our online radio show. If you said to us then, okay, well, get, you know, strap in, guys, because you're going to do 799 more of those, and you won't be done then either. That's, <laughs> you know, you've you got a lot more to go after that. That would have sounded, sounded ridiculous. That would have sounded pretty absurd. And yet here we are. Here we are, yep. 13 years later, we're doing our 800th show, and no end in sight, unless, you know, you have an announcement you want to make or something. Like <laughs> I, I say we do it until we get tired of doing it, and uh, I tell you, I'm not even close to being tired of doing it. So here's our show tonight. I thought to celebrate our 800th show, I wanted to, wanted to talk about a topic near and dear to our hearts, which is optimism, and kind of a new spin on it, or a slightly different spin on it that I, that I want to give that has occurred to me recently as I've been putting some various ideas about the future together. So I call this outrageous optimism, and that's kind of a working title. We were talking before the show that, that in the end we might, we might end up calling this something else. But it's the idea of putting something out there that's just a little bit or maybe a lot outside of what people expect or what people think can be achievable. And I've got some good examples actually from the past of things that – had you predicted them before they occurred, would have seemed outrageously optimistic. And both of these can be found over on our world in data. The first of them is something we've talked about a lot, which is the decline in global poverty over the last 200 years. We've, we've talked, actually, we've talked probably more about the decline in global poverty over the last 30 years than we have over the last 200, but we know that both apply, right? That it, there, there's, right. There's, a, there's a lot you can say over that entire period of time. There's a great chart if you, go, if you follow the link that we've provided here. Declining poverty, share of people living in extreme poverty from 1820 to 2015. One of the most beautiful charts you'll ever see, I think, you have to say. Yeah. And they use two, yeah. two different measures to show it. They, they show a kind of a standard definition of poverty and then a definition of extreme poverty. And you see these wonderful slopes where from well over 80% to uh, living in extreme poverty to well over 90% living in some measure of poverty has dropped to less than 10% of the world's population is now living in extreme poverty over those 200 years. And you think about it, if in the year 1820, if you had said the dynamics of all global economics will be completely put asunder within the next 200 years, because really, if, if if you looked at that breakdown of the population, about 90% of the people living in poverty or extreme poverty, and about 10% somewhere between middle class and extremely wealthy. That was not just true in 1820. That was true in 1720. That was true in the year 20, right? That was in the year 5020 BC, right? I mean, that was pretty much the breakdown of human population. I think the whole 
for, for all of human history. Would you agree that, that that's probably how it had worked up to that point? Right, right, right. Well, I mean, uh, I imagine, uh, you know, we have a time machine, Phil, and uh, you and I go back in time and talk to uh, Thomas Malthus, perhaps. There you he'd go. Be a good, he would be a good one to sit down with and say, well, you, you know, and, and he'd probably have a lot of questions about the future, and we'd say, well, you, you wouldn't believe it if we told you. And, uh, well, no, no, tell us. Tell me. Well, what's it like? Well, the population of the world, well, I don't even have the number in front of me, Phil, quadrupled. I mean, how, what was, uh, was there? About, uh, I would say it's probably about ten times what it was then. Five, yeah, ten probably. Yeah, I would, I would guess uh, that there were, uh, surely it was less than a billion people yeah. in the world at that time. And, and now we're approaching seven and billion people. Uh, we're above seven. We're approaching eight, yeah. actually. Yeah. He would he would say, well, how in the world? I mean, do you manage to feed those people? You know, I mean, that's that would be his his key his key thing because he was talking in in that day about there being a crash that the, you know the world couldn't support just couldn't produce enough food to support the people that were on the planet at that time. He made the and, mathematical case. That's right. That at the mm-hmm. rate people were re- reproducing and the rate the land was able to produce food. It was all going to crash. It would all crash within, I think his timeline was 100 years or so from, from right. what he was talking. So by the middle part at the latest of the 20th century, it should have all been over anyway. And instead, yeah. what, what we see is the exact opposite of what Malthus predicted, where in, instead right. of a global collapse, we've seen the, virtually the whole population of Earth come out of poverty, with just the exception being the 10% that are, that are still there. But even, even there, there's, we're, we're seeing there's hope. progress every yeah. day. And yeah. so, to me, that's a great example. If someone had made that prediction in 18... 18- well, you know what's interesting about the, uh, Malthus is that if you hold all things equal to the way things were at the time that he wrote, then he would be right. That's right. You could have said to Malthus back then, you could have said, now here's my prediction, is that we're going to take 90% of the world out of poverty. And he'd say, how? And you'd have to say, by doing stuff you haven't even thought of yet. Right. Yeah. By doing stuff yeah. that hasn't been invented yet and no one on Earth has imagined yet. Right. And so right. it would sound even crazier. Right. So you're making this ridiculous prediction about how much better the world is going to be. And then on top of it, it's like, what's the mechanism for it? Well, I can't tell you. <laughs> it hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> you're, you're a smart guy, but you just you won't accept what I have to say. You know, yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's just beyond your experience. Yeah, there's so. there's 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 nothing that would that would help you to understand that. So I think that's a that's a fantastic example of where outrageous optimism would have been completely rejected by the people of the time. They would have expected almost exactly the opposite to happen. You couldn't make a valid argument, or excuse me, a persuasive argument using data that was available at the time that it was going to happen. And yet it's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. So there's our model. There's our case in point of, oh, if we can make some more predictions like this and have them come true, right? Won't, <laughs> won't life be grand? I think, I think that would be wonderful. I, I've got the other example I've got, if you follow the link, is life expectancy over approximately that same period of time. And that one's wonderful. Actually, it goes back about 50 years farther. It goes back to 1770. And you see this really flat line until about in the developed world starting in the late 1800s and moving all the way up into the early to middle part of the 20th century for some of the developing world. But once it starts, you've got this really steep slope and life expectancy starts going way, way, way up. A lot of that has to do with solving problems around infant mortality. If you don't have yeah. all the babies dying, it, it wonderfully improves life expectancy. Yeah, it, it wasn't like a, a person who, was, who made it to 29 expected to die the next year. But let's not lose sight of the fact, yeah, that's a big part of it. But yeah, if you were 29 living in Africa in the 1850s, 
your prognosis was not great. You, you wonder to yourself, will I make 40? Yeah. In fact, 40 is a good example there because you see the line, the 40-year life expectancy line being crossed right about 1950, it looks like, wow. in parts of Africa. But then continuing, and, and that was a nice rise, right? That was a nice rise from 30. Oh, yeah. About yeah, 70 from years 30. before. And now hitting 60. They're, they're, they're close to 60, and they're still, they're probably on the, the sharpest slope up of any of any yeah. geography uh, it, on, the, on the map. As far as life expectancy goes, the, the low-hanging fruit is always in the worst places, isn't it? Right, so it's almost 200 right. years since that 1820 year that we begin the life expectancy chart. So let's make our crazy, outrageous, optimistic prediction for life expectancy or for, or for income, either one you want. Which, which one you want to take, Stephen? I'll, you do one. Uh, let's, let's, okay. do, let's do life expectancy. Here's my prediction. Okay. We have not hit the knee of the curve yet in life expectancy. And what I mean by that is that it's going to shoot up to such an extent in the next few years that it will look like we are living in the primitive times. Present. Right, and so that, I, I would I would say that, and, and it's gonna it's gonna hit quickly. I would think uh, within the next ten years, Phil, we may reach actuarial escape velocity, where we're actually adding a, a year of life expectancy faster than than one year, right? Uh, so that we're we're actually pushing it out our life expectancy year by year further than uh, than the year that we age. That's the dream. I believe that I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna. Turn it into a prediction then. We never make predictions, right? So we're going to make an outrageously optimistic <laughs> prediction here. So 200 years ago, 1820, if you had predicted that people were going to be living into their 80s, 90s, you would have been right, right? And that would yeah, have been... And also, and also thought to be crazy. Yeah, that, that would have been crazy, and you would have been absolutely right. So 2220, right, 200 years from now, what will the life expectancy be? I'm going to say that by that year... The term will be meaningless. They'll, they will yep. not. They will not project life well, expectancy any longer because they'll say it's completely open ended. We have no way of. It's, it's indefinite. That. Hey, well, let's go for it, man. <laughs> twenty twenty two twenty. That'll that'll be the that'll be the norm. And I think per your prediction, a lot sooner than twenty two twenty. Probably by yeah. pro- probably by the end of this century. The, that's I'm going to be a little more optimistic than that. I'd say by the middle of the century. Okay. Now, it, by the middle of the century, it may not be evenly distributed throughout the entire world. I would hope that uh, by the end of this century that it would be evenly distributed throughout the in, entire world. Actuarial escape velocity uh, by the end of by the end of this century for anyone and everywhere. So now let's take on the the other one that that we were talking about, which is: Are we all going to be rich? We're all going to be billionaires, right? The, this whole sexy immortal billionaires with superpowers formulation here is kicking in big time. I like it. If we went from ninety percent of the world is poor to ten percent of the world is poor in 200 years, right? What's going to happen over the next, say, that same time frame, half a century to century, in terms of material abundance? Can you put a, can you put a figure on that one? I'm just going to say, once again, the terms almost become meaningless, that, that we almost lose the, the means of projecting it. But I'll say, as long as we're keeping track, we will eventually turn that people living in extreme poverty and even people living in poverty down to zero, effectively zero, that that won't exist right. anymore. That basically, if, if anyone lives in poverty, it'll be because they've, they've chosen to live in poverty. And right now, probably the biggest hindrances to having everyone in the world out of poverty are more political, social, structural than they are actually having enough stuff, right? We're, 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 probably, we're probably pretty close to making that happen. And, and just a few infrastructure changes, and 
we can get that 10% down to 1% of the world in any kind of poverty. And then you just start cutting away at that, right? Get the 1% down to half a percent and then down to, down to a negligible number of people poor. But look at the other side of that, right? What's the other side of that is that you're talking about the population of the world living in a state of material abundance. Basically, living... The, the term we would use is we're like wealthy people. We won't think of ourselves as wealthy because we don't yeah. think of ourselves as wealthy right now, even though compared to the people in 1820, they would say we are. You take the richest guy in the world 200 years ago, and an average schmo today, somebody like you or myself, would not trade places with him. No way. Yeah. And that will continue. I think that 50 years from now, the average schmo would not trade places with the richest person on earth today. Right. Maybe even 25 years from now. That's, that's how much more quickly we can, we can expect for this to happen. But, but that's the, that is the basic pattern that I think will continue. And I think it's, it is not outrageously optimistic at this point, or at least it shouldn't be regarded as outrageously optimistic at this point to expect that to happen. And yet it still will be that when you talk yeah. about that, people think that that's all slowed down. That's all stopped. And I think probably not. If anything, as you said about the aging thing, we probably haven't really hit the knee of the curve yet. The big leap forward in abundance will occur as we get a little bit better at applying advanced artificial intelligence advanced computer technology to a better understanding of materials technology. When we have something along the lines of molecular nanotechnology with some really smart machinery operating that, then things are really going to take off in a serious direction in terms of... I don't know why it is, but I always think of Dr. McCoy in Star Trek IV. They travel back in time to 1980s uh, hospital, and he's just... He's just can't believe. Horrified. He, he's just appalled by everything he sees. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's one of my favorite scenes in any movie, actually. I have to say that. And he's just so appalled when she says she's having kidney dialysis. <laughs> and he gives her that. Dialysis? Oh, this yeah. is crazy. <laughs> Take this and call Take me. And, and a few minutes later, you see her running down the hall going, the doctor gave me a pill and I grew a new kidney, right? It's like... <laughs> One of the greatest <laughs> scenes ever in any movie. And, and that's right. I, I think that, that that, in a funny, kind of over-the-top way, really expresses what we'll be seeing. And it won't be, right. I mean, they live in the 23rd century. I don't think it'll, it won't be the 23rd century. It'll be before the 22nd century, probably, that we'll see a lot of that kind of stuff happening. I think if yeah. Dr. McCoy had not gone back quite so far in time, he would have been a lot more pleased. With, uh, <laughs> so, okay, we've made some improvements on this, but uh, this is pretty good. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, and yeah. he could have come back and we could have shown him our uh, smartphones and said, actually, this is better than your communicator in a lot of ways, if you just want to, and certainly better than your tricorder, if you just want to <laughs> take a look here, doctor. I feel awesome. like we've improved on some of those things. There you go. That's, those are the outrageous, outrageous optimistic pr- projections. And I think it's fun to talk about those. We've done a lot of that kind of thing over the years on this program. And it's occurred to me that maybe outrageous optimism has a role beyond just getting to be right about the wonderful things when they do happen, that maybe it has an important role to play in kind of pushing us in the right direction and getting us out of these terrible situations that we're in. I mean, having 90% of the population of the world in poverty is not great. We can look back on that now and say, that, well, that was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. I think a few generations down the road, they're going to look back at that world and even our world, as you said, and be just like Dr. McCoy, right? They're just going to be appalled. How, how can you stand to live in a world that has anyone in extreme grinding poverty? That's the question the economists would say to us. How, how do you even stand that? Well, 
we look at what we have now and, and feel like we've done well, but we've got we've got room for improvement. We can pull the entire world out of the uh, grinding poverty. It can happen. And that's why I think when we saw something like, we've talked a, a, several times about this, but I, 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 I always come back to it, and I always think it's worth mentioning, when Mark Zuckerberg and his wife announced that they were going to set their foundation onto one of many projects they've got going, by the way, but one of their projects they were going to take on was cure, prevent, and manage all disease. One yep. of the most ambitious things anyone has ever said. Right up there, I would say, with Elon Musk saying, I'm sending people to Mars and starting us off to Mars. Different kind of thing, but as ambitious. Talking about really spinning us off major new direction. Of course, Elon Musk is himself a great example of the outrageous optimist who seems to be, by and large, delivering on the, on the outrageous optimism. But the thing is, yeah. that idea that sounds so crazy and so unrealistic to a lot of people, it turns out has a bit of a proof point in the subsequent information that we've learned about the drug metformin, which turns out to be this interesting, not a cure for all disease, not the panacea, not the fountain of youth in a bottle, but something that is associated with, for those who take it, with lower mortality due to all causes. It's not the cure for aging, and it's not the end of all diseases, but it points in that direction, right? It's like you, you yeah. look at the research that's been done around metformin, you say, okay, well, here's something that actually seems to go in that direction that seems to sort of prove, or maybe not prove, sort of indicate that something like that really could exist, that what, what Priscilla Chan and Mark Zuckerberg and their foundation are chasing down isn't just a crazy dream. It's not just a fantasy that that really could happen. And of course, if that could happen, if we could eliminate all disease, and I think we will, I think it's just, it's, it's probably just a matter of time. The change in our world, that's how you get to that world that I was talking about before, where there's just, there's no such thing as life expectancy. People don't die because they don't get sick. That outrageously optimistic idea, I think has to be out there before anybody's going to act on it, before anybody's going to do anything about it. And so they're actually helping to push us along in the same way I think that probably Elon Musk is kind of helping to push human civilization along, even though a lot of people think he's nuts. I think there's a lot to be said in this day and age for being willing to put it out there and sound like maybe you're a little or even a lot crazy. To me, if your goal doesn't sound a little bit crazy, then you're, you're probably not aiming high enough. The example I always think of is John Kennedy and We Choose to Go to the Moon. When he said that, you know, we had, we had barely been in space at all. To the extent there was a space race at all at that point, we'd been thoroughly trashed and beaten by the Soviets at the time. Well, to heck with this business about going into lower Earth orbit and that kind of thing, we, we're going to the moon. He changed the finish line of the race, basically, just unilaterally. It's remarkable what we were able to do in a short period of time. We knew that it was, it was possible, sort of, at the time he said it. But, I mean, a lot of, a lot of technology had to, uh, to be invented to get us there, but it was on the edge of possible. But it was pretty crazy to, to put a one-decade goal for it. And it happened. Could it have happened had he not said that? Was I don't think so. And, of course, it helps that he was the president and, and not just some crazy guy muttering to himself. If, if he had just said that and it had been ignored, if we had not had the pressure of the Soviets, that we had to, we felt that we needed to beat them in this field. You didn't feel the urgency for him to make the right. outrageously optimistic projection. But I think had he not made it, we couldn't, we couldn't have done it. And the great thing is, if somebody says something really crazy and somebody argues with it, then now it's the conversation, right? Now it's the dialogue. Now people, right. people are talking about it, and maybe it's closer just because 
that happened. In that sense, it's possible that, for example, Elon Musk has moved us a lot closer to being a multi-planet species just by things he said, even if you discount all the fact that he's actually building the rockets and really trying to make all this stuff happen. Um, just, just by getting that conversation going, it seems like we're, we're, we're getting a little bit closer. So I think there's a critical role for the outrageous optimist to play today in I think that because our capability is expanding probably beyond our ability to understand how capable we've come, you need people to come right out and say these outrageous things and then let the organization of our abilities begin, right? Suddenly people say, well, they start scratching their heads and go, you know, you couldn't do that crazy thing you said, but maybe you could do this or maybe you could do that. And before you know it, you're talking about doing something equally as crazy as what the outrageous optimists. It's been a while since we've quoted Arthur C. Clarke on this. I think we should. He had three points. Number one, when a distinguished but elderly scientist states that something is possible, he is almost certainly right. When he says that something is impossible, he is very probably wrong. Number two, the only uh, way to discover the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. And then, of course, he says any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Here's a question, Phil. How far in the future would you have to go, a person living in the, uh, at the turn of the century, a turn of the 20th century, 1900, to, how far would you have to go into the future to, uh, to find something that you would go, oh, my gosh, that's magic? I would say you probably would have to, I don't know, it, depending on whether you think a flight is magic, maybe you only have to go a few years in the future. But, Two or three years, yeah. Maybe 20 yeah. If, if radio seems magic. If TV seems magic to you, then you go a little bit farther. If little, people going to the moon, then you might have to wait 69 years, but eventually you're going to yeah. hit the magic. At some point you're going to, oh, yeah, there you go, that's magic. My question is, how far do we have to go into the future now, do you think, to, to see something that's magic? I think the window is actually less. We, we get to the magic quicker. Um, I think you're right. You know. I think that's true. Yeah. And, and I think that goes to why these projections sound crazy, the outrageously optimistic projections. If, you, if you're in 1820 and you say, we're going to lift 90% of the world's population out of poverty, it sounds like, well, what magic wand are you going to wave? Right. right. What, what magic is going to allow such a such an outrageous thing to happen? And when we started podcasting, we were talking about autonomous vehicles, and that was a fairly magical idea at the time. Not anymore. Right. Right. We, we've right. actually seen that one move from magic to there's this kind of dull, complacent expectation now. And no, no one thinks it's not going to happen now. But right. I mean, when, when we started talking about it back in 2005, 2006, it sounded like the ravings of fools. It yeah. really did at that time. It did. And we were looking at things like the DARPA Grand Challenge, those early proof-of-concept races that they were doing uh, where half of the, half the uh, contestants couldn't leave the starting line, right? They, the computation just froze up. But it went pretty quickly from that to, uh, I think, the third or fourth uh, DARPA Grand Challenge was in an urban environment, pedestrians and everything else, uh, just uh, like three or four years. It went from very few vehicles even being able to move autonomously to being flexible enough to handle urban environments. It was amazing. Right. To knowing so, that there are a few autonomous vehicles out on the road at, at any now. time. Yeah. Now. Yeah, that's right. Right now, there, there are. There are some out there right now. And there will be more next year, and there will be a lot more than that the year after that, and on and on. I mean, to, to the point where it became... Real, and that's a. I think it's a great example because that was 12, 13 years ago. We were making that prediction, and maybe that was crazy, outrageously optimistic, magical prediction. And that's your window. That's how much faster it is now than it was, say, at, at the beginning of the 
of the 20th century to get from magical statement to seeing it realized. And I guess that's really well, where we're going in the future is we're, 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 we're going to see that window, that magical window get closed tighter and tighter and tighter. So tighter. the outrageous statements of today are the ho-hum, everybody's used to that, of 18 months from now. So, so I guess where this, where this ends us up, Stephen, is, you know what? You've got to be outrageously optimistic because outrageous optimism is the new realism. I think that's, that's right. 800 shows in. That's where we are. If you aren't projecting crazy, wacky things coming in the very near future, you're going to miss out. You're going to right. be surprised once again, and you're you, probably not going to be you're, as ready. You're, you're, not, you're not leading your prey enough uh, with your shot, to give you a hunting metaphor. That's, you just, you've got to give it a little more lead than that if you're not being crazy. That's, so if that's you want to be ready about. for the future, folks, uh, obviously keep listening to us. We're going to be around maybe 800 more shows. We'll see how it goes, but at least a few more. Uh, keep listening to us, but also just start thinking a little more outrageously, a little more magically, because it's all happening. And with that, Stephen, I'll say it's been great doing 800 shows with you. I look forward to doing a few hundred more at least. Sounds great. Thanks, Bill. All right. We're going to be back uh, this week. We've got a three-part show coming up with future Steve Wells. He's got a new book out called A Very Human Future. We're going to be talking to him throughout the rest of this week. So look forward to having you all here with that. And until next time, live to see it. Mm-hmm.